Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 154, week 154, volume 154, number fucking 154. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Steve of Within the Ruins, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with a bit of feedback, bit of questions, bit of what's been going on. Got an insanely epic five-star rating and review through iTunes, courtesy of JessMan87. Also in the review, he let me know that his favorite episode was number 117 with Adam of 12 Tribes. Jess, dude, you are the man. Thank you for taking time out to give us a rating and review. And stoked to hear that a show a little while back is your favorite. I hope you've also deep dived into all the other guests and I hope you enjoy everything we keep producing. For everyone else listening, have you given us a rating and review on iTunes yet? If not, why not? Help us out. Takes 30 seconds, maybe not even that, maybe less. Help us out, tell us how good we are, how shit we are, and tell us your favourite show. It really, really helps the show get out to more listeners. So thank you everyone that takes some time out to do that previously or does it this week. Enough of my ramblings, let's kick into the main part of the show. This week I got to sit down with Steve of Within the Ruins. First things first. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are within the ruins? Well, they are progressive, metalcore, deathcore, heavy as fuck band. Steve joined the band in around 2018 and so far has contributed his skills to their most recent album titled Black Heart, which was released in 2020. Steve previously was also in a band from Texas called Silence the Messenger. They broke up in 2016, but he released two EPs and two albums with that band. This was a great, relaxed, insightful, entertaining conversation. I enjoyed every moment with Steve. I hope you enjoy it too. That chat with Steve is coming up now. So everyone gets the same question, and that's uh, not in... not. A heavy band, but basically, do you remember at a young age being shown a band that you became obsessed with? So, for my my example is at the age of five. I don't know why, but I became a massive Aerosmith fan. I don't know why okay. I was I was obsessed. But was there a band for you at a young age, and who was it? Um, hmm. I mean, it's easy to point to heavy bands. Like I remember the first like heavy thing I ever saw was I saw. Uh, I think it was on TRL, Freak on a Leash was playing, and I was like, what is this? And they said it was, it was a band called Korn. I was like, that that's a weird, weird, dumb name, but like that video is awesome. I like the song a lot. Um, but probably just around the same time, a band that's not heavy, I became super obsessed with Blink-182. I guess that'd be like a super late 90s uh, thing for a young kid to get into, but I did. And that was actually my first concert was a Blink-182 show. Um, so... I could point out a heavy band and I could point out a knot, but if I really had to put it towards anything, like I, my first, what actually got me into music was my parents put me in a, uh, in a magnet school when I was in like first grade. So I had to choose between, I wanted, I was orchestra or band, I think. And I chose uh, orchestra and I started playing the violin when I was just a little kid. So that eventually 
you kind of see it as like a nerdy thing when you're a teenager. So I picked up a guitar and started like trying to learn new metal songs and stuff and pop punk songs because they were easy to play. I just switched from one stringed instrument to another one. And then from there, it was like, well, I got to do this with other people and started <laughs> bands and stuff. And then you could just fast forward through a couple different high school bands I did. And then it eventually in 2007 would be around when I joined Silence and Messenger. So, so that's a nice version of how he. So basically MTV or like radio access, which I mean, I think some people nowadays, they really turn their nose up at new metal, but it was everywhere. Like it was an easy access for someone who didn't know heavy music because it was on the mainstream. So that was obviously your pathway. It, def it definitely was. And I, I've had that, that new metal conversation is, is usually the, the, the tangent <laughs> that I'll could go on forever. Um, but I, you're right. I feel like people do sometimes still turn their nose up to it, or at least they did for a while. And now there's this like new metal revival that's happening where people are like putting it in, putting into like current stuff, like suicide silence started doing it, you know, a handful of years ago, just incorporating it into deathcore and, and whatever. And then metalcore started doing it. And it's just, now there's like just straight up new metal bands that are popping up and, I think it's funny because you you I agree people have kind of like turned their nose up to it, but I've always just been like, dude, new metal's sick. Who cares? Mm. Like that's mm. a part of the reason like a lot of band like big heavy bands are where they are is because bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit and Slipknot were getting on MTV and stuff because it was like more acceptable for some reason to have new metal bands in mainstream media. So uh, I I I'll be that like new metal snob that's like I always thought it was cool. Y'all were talking shit about it for a while and now I want to pretend like you liked it the whole time. But <laughs> that's just that's just me though. But yeah, I agree. People did that for a while. And yeah, and just... I also think it's a genre like every genre. You know, there was the good stuff and the bad stuff. I mean, but you can't deny it was essential. Um, but if you're yeah. seeing a band like Corn. Not everyone gravitates to the heavier side of music. So, do you think or know what might have drawn you into Corn at that stage? Was it the visual? Was the aggression? I think uh, probably both. But I think our, what I remember most was visually, like that music video having all the holes in the background with the light peering through. It was something you hadn't really seen before, and then it was just like the bullet flying around. I thought was really cool. Um, so it was a lot of the visual, but then you have a guy like Jonathan Davis, who's got a very distinct, uh, vocal style and hearing him just do that, boom, that kind of thing, those noises, like who does that? What? So it was really like something that stood out very well, I think. So probably a combination of the two, but, uh, it was just something you weren't getting from, you know, pop stars that were kind of a dime a dozen and mm. what happened just something. But I did fall in love with the aggression though. I think I always liked that about new metal especially with the vocals that they were very raw and guys back then actually had to be really good you couldn't you couldn't fake a lot of it at least not well back then like now you can do all kinds of stuff in the studio to make you sound really good make you sound you know brutal or whatever but like back then you had to you had to nail your takes because you didn't have like digital recording stuff so you couldn't just do dozens of takes over and over you had to nail it and you know on like actual physical tape and so I liked how those guys were able to do a very raw, aggressive, but passionate sound with heavy music, kind of go in between like growls and cool screaming stuff, but then they would actually have some good singing voices, some of these guys. And, and that was kind of what also intrigued me to start doing vocals is I would be like in my parents' basement, 
uh, when I was a teenager, like they would leave and I would put on a corn record or a disturbed record or like a Lincoln Park record and I would try and scream along and sing along and trying to match those guys was kind of, was kind of tough. And it's like, still, it's even more impressive now. Like when you know how to do it and you're like, Oh, well, what about these guys? They didn't have the same training methods and people like putting out YouTube videos of how to do certain vocal techniques and stuff. They just had to do it mm. and they did it well. So I think that was also another thing that drew me in was like the vocal styles back then for some of those, <clears throat> sorry, some of those guys were just really impressive. What about your musical discovery? Like you, you start getting into like, you know, you've got your blink start off point, then you've got kind of corn. Are you someone that then just kind of went down the rabbit hole to discover other bands or were you kind of just then noticing whatever was playing on MTV and then you discover that? Um, I mean, the MTV thing definitely played a role, but I totally went down a rabbit hole of discovering bands. Like I had, to, my big thing was Circus Magazine. I don't know if you guys have that over there. No, um, you could buy it, but it wasn't, it was a costly magazine. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was one of the big ones I was into and I, I had the, the annual subscription. So I would get my new issue every month and I'd be super excited. I would just run down to my room and read everything and I would cut out pictures and put them on my wall and stuff. And like, like, so I would discover new bands through that and I'd like maybe go like one, one specific example and then not to like keep bringing up corn, but it was just a big obvious example. I remember when untouchables came out, it was when the, you had CD stores and, and record stores and stuff, and you went to you were excited to go buy that physical copy. I remember me and a buddy skateboarded to the to the store, picked it up. We sat in his room and like for hours just read the lyrics and the booklet, listened to the album, and that was what you did. But like when you were there at the record store too, then they'd have other other bands that might be similar on an end cap or something, and like I would discover stuff that way. But between the magazines and and CD stores, like it was I was a total rabbit hole. So I, I would. You'd have, like you said earlier, you'd have the big, the big greats that are like the, the good new metal, and there was some not so great. Uh, I went through all of it, like mm. as deep as that hole could go. I was trying to make my way through as much of it as I could. So, uh, I definitely didn't kind of just take whatever was thrown at me. Like I was on the hunt for what anything. So I mean, what you know, without going too far forward, um, there must have been a band though that transitioned you from new metal into, you know, I don't like the word, but let's say extreme metal. There must have been oh, yeah. a band. What was that band for you that transitioned? Uh, I could probably, I could with confidence say it was Kill Switch Engage. That first record, Alive or Just Breathing, just caught me. It was, the, it was, it was super aggressive, but it was like uh, so passionate with uh, Jesse's singing in those some of those choruses and like the contrast between uh like the pretty parts and the heavy parts was just like a big eye-opening thing so that was th that's probably the band that would be like okay well mainstream mainstream heavy to like underground heavy uh and and yeah what the sub sub genres or whatever right? we didn't we can call them whatever we want i'm sure we both know <laughs> like <clears throat> i don't i don't care for them but they you know what I'm talking about if I said, oh, there's a deathcore band or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think that transition band would like certainly kill switch for sure. Now you mentioned, um, you mentioned earlier, you know, you start out on the, um, the violin and then transition mm -hmm. into guitar. So what age did you pick up the guitar? And, you know, at what stage did you think um, actually guitar isn't for me, vocals is for me? Um, I think I picked it up, but I'd have to say when I was, I want to say 15, maybe, maybe late 14, but easily 15, because I remember, um, 
I was, I did some, I bought an acoustic guitar and I had an electric guitar. So I kind of did both. Like some of the electric guitar stuff, I was figuring out how to detune my guitar and play stuff in like drop C or drop B. But I also had an acoustic guitar because I was trying to learn the pop punk stuff also. Um, and so I kind of went back and forth because they were both relatively easy to play on guitar. Um, but what I kind of remember being around 15 because I knew we did this uh, little like battle of the bands but not really a battle thing when I was at my high school. I lived in Utah for a few years, and this is where a lot of this is taking place. So when I say basement, we don't have basements in Texas, but uh, <laughs> that's what I, that's what I'm referring to. Um, <clears throat> we had like this little battle of bands thing, and we did um, two like like pop punk originals that we wrote, and then we covered a Blink One Eighty Two song. And I got off stage, and I was just like, "That's what I want to do. I want to play in front of people." And I remember it was before I was 16 because I couldn't drive, I had to carry all my stuff out to my mom's minivan. So since he would like drive us to drive me to uh, my friend's house to practice and to that show and stuff. And um, I just remember standing there holding my stuff and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to play for people. So it was, it had to have been right before I could, could drive. And then, so like late or mid teenage years, but then after that, it kind of, uh, I just was experimenting with doing vocals in high school and I kind of went from playing guitar to a friend of mine asked me to play bass. He's like, I know you play guitar, but can you try bass for, um, for us? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then I would do some backup vocals, uh, here and there, but I wasn't the singer of the band and then it fell apart. And then, uh, me and one of the guys put together more of a metal metal project and, uh he's like do you just want to try vocals like you sounded cool during the backup stuff and i was like yeah sure whatever and i did that for maybe a a year or so year and a half and then uh i joined i joined silence the messenger actually as the bassist <clears throat> uh they had like double booked uh, a bass tryout um and they went with this other guy who's still a really good friend of mine to this day uh, but they picked him first, actually, because he worked at Guitar Center and they wanted to get discounts and stuff. I was like, all right, I get it. But fine. But they eventually started kicking people out. And then I got brought in as bassist. But then one of the guys that kicked out was the singer. And they were like, well, we have a few shows booked right now. We know you did some vocal stuff before. Do you want to at least fill in for these shows? And then after that first practice, they were like, you're just going to stay here and we'll figure out a different basis. And that was pretty much when it stopped, when I stopped picking up instruments and stuff. I was just vocals from there on out so I could, if you gave me a guitar i could probably fuck around a little bit but i'm no virtuoso or anything i'm no joe kochi i'll tell you i'll say that one. so so you mentioned that's you mentioned like you know a lot of people have those early high school bands and those battle of the bands and those initial yeah. you know learning stage presence learning how to write music those kind of things but at this stage when you're in utah are you aware of a local music scene I don't like no, the word, but not, no. So when do you discover a, a local scene and <clears throat> did that ignite it even further, your passion? Yeah, I would, I'd say so. Like the, in Utah, it was just me messing around in my, in my room. That's all that was. I was just, I would just be messing around and just kind of learning and, and uh, I was just kind of figuring it out, winging it. Uh, I would take some guitar lessons. Um, I was never like super good, but I would learn some of the basics and things, but uh, I wasn't aware of any like local music scene. I went to some shows. Some of them were some cool new metal shows, but I didn't know any, I, anything about getting a band together who would contact promoters. I didn't know how shows worked. Um, so I knew about going to shows, but it was always like just the nationals. And I would, the first, I guess, 
The first band, I guess I could say I remember, though, was this cool band called Adjacent to Nothing. They were definitely a new metal band. They didn't really go anywhere, but they were like a local band in Utah. And they were the first band I remember like, wait, okay, they're not as big as these other guys, but they still have some merch stuff. And okay, so I think maybe the gears started turning around then, but I never did any shows or anything really other than that little battle thing in Utah. So when we moved back home, I'm originally from Texas anyways, but when I moved back to San Antonio, then it was uh, I a couple of those high school projects knew the local promoters in town. And that's when I started like playing actual shows at a venue. Um, and it was the one of the first big ones was at a place. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called the white rabbit. It's one of our, like, it's a big, uh, it's a kind of a touring favorite for a lot of bands and stuff, um, here in San Antonio. Uh, when I first walked into that place though, like, this is just me being a young high school kid. I walked into that place. I was like, this place is a fucking dump. And I didn't know any better. Um, but, after playing a lot of local shows and then hopping on national shows, I'm like, oh man, bands love playing here. Actually, like, okay, maybe there's something to this place. And then when you start playing out of town and, and going on tours and stuff, you're like, damn, I have it good back home. So um, it wasn't ever anything in Utah. It wasn't, wasn't until I came back to San Antonio that was um, really like, okay, there's a there's a foot in the door here. I mean, but a lot of a lot of our listeners know. I mean, we've had couple of the guys from Upon a Burning Body on the show, you know, the, te- the Texan scene is got some names, but at that stage for you, was there a lot of, you know, Texan bands or San Antonio bands that you were looking at and you could say, look, these guys are getting outside of the state. These guys are doing mm-hmm. weekenders. If they can do it, I can do it. Uh, yeah. I mean, there were some, uh, I remember like one of those, one of those first high school bands I was doing was before I kind of switched more to like a metal side. We were kind of like a screamo kind of not like super emo, but like screamo with a couple heavy parts here and there, but started noticing local bands that like had better gear and they were, you know, put, putting like stage boxes together. And I ended up, I was like, Oh, I could do that. And I had a couple friends help me build, uh, the stage box with like a, uh it was basically a cabinet we got at like a at a like a home depot i think it was cabinet so it had actual doors on it but it had like a plastic top and we had lights that would come up from the bottom you know super myspace days type of thing and i I had them help me build in the garage but it was like little things like that where i was noticing oh shit bands have have their shit together uh i didn't need to do the same thing with my project and whatever i'm doing and there was a there was a band from here called sworn to secrecy i remember being kind of impressed with they were like a screamo band, but it had cool electronic stuff. And I was like, man, there's a lot of depth to this band. They have a cool image. They kind of have it going on. I think they were they were super close to signing to Victory, if I remember correctly. But then it never never came to be. And then switching over to like heavier stuff, then it was uh, you start noticing bands like like Upon a Burning Body was like pretty pretty much the deal um, at that point. Um, taking it back to new metal, uh, there's a band called Union Underground that was mm. from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, did pretty well for a little while, but that was kind of past, obviously, the new metal state. So they weren't really doing as much, if anything at all, at that point. So it was kind of starting with, like, a pawn. They really were the biggest, um, uh, besides besides a band called Nothing More. No, there's a band called Nothing More that does really well um, that got that got out. Uh, got out. Um, and there's a couple other, like, small bands that were doing well, but it's... Uh, um, you kind of want to like, it's a competition, but you want to support the scene and support like everybody at the same time. But you're like, okay, good for y'all, but I'm, I'm trying to get signed and go on tour too. So if my band does better than you, then sorry. So you, you do look, it's, it's just the longer you stay in it, the more you notice like 
oh man, certain bands are doing this. Well, I need to do it this way. Some at some point for you, you know, f- from what I know from the outside looking in, is you're a very <clears throat> determined and driven person, especially creatively, and that's yeah. been obvious from the offset. So, at what stage do you think that? For you, it wasn't just a case of this is my dream, but now I've got to be really committed to it because not everyone, and I don't mean ill when I say this, they don't have the ability or the want to really commit. So when for you was the time when you went, this is it, I've got to put all my focus, all my time, all my money into this? It uh, it was probably the first Silence the Messenger tour that we ever did. It was... Uh, it was too, late 2008, I want to say, maybe early 2009. Um, and me and the guy I was telling you about earlier, his name's James, he, uh, that we tried out at the same time, uh, he would stay over at my house and we booked the thing ourselves through MySpace. We just found venues and stuff and found other bands and saw who the promoters were on flyers. We just did all the grunt work and just sent messages left and right, emails, and very clumsily put together this little two-week run from Texas to Florida and back. Uh, just did the best that we could. And... I realized that I was in college at the time and I went for a few semesters, but I realized then if I'm going to tour, I need to do it now. And if I want to go back to school, I can do that later. But now's, now's when I need to really go all in. So probably like 2008 or 2009 or so is when I was like, okay, well, I'm putting everything I got into this and we'll see how it goes. And as, as long as my job will let me do it, then I'll keep doing that. You know, and then if not, fuck them, I'm going to figure something else out, which ended up happening after STM got signed. But um, yeah, probably probably then, probably 2008 or so. Now, the early years of uh, Messenger was, there was two EPs. There was Beneath the Scars <coughs> and Buried. Oh, yeah, damn, you did, you did your homework, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Buried, Buried's the one that always shows up, like on the streaming streaming sites and stuff, but Beneath the Scars, not a lot of people actually know about. I, have, I actually have a physical copy of that somewhere. That one, um, we... Uh, that was my first, that was, most of those songs were already written when I got in the band. I just replaced the singer and just redid the songs. There's actually old recordings of those tracks that sound like awful with the old guy. Um, and I'm not trying to be a dick by throwing him under the bus. He's not anybody that ever did anything in music. After he got kicked out of the band, he just went off and did a bunch of drugs and shit. So (laughs) I'm not, yeah, like, uh, maybe thanks uh, to, (laughs) to that guy. Um, but yeah, Beneath the Scars and Buried were the two EPs before we got signed, but Beneath the Scars had a, like, I would print out, like, we had the artwork done, our drummer did some, uh, messing around with Photoshop back in the day, and the artwork doesn't really make sense with the album cover or the songs, I didn't write them, but it looked kind of cool at the time, um, but I guess, you know, like, doing those MySpace days, everybody's artwork didn't have almost anything to do with what their songs were about anyways, but we, I would print the, print the little CD booklets out in on just regular paper on regular paper and on for my printer at home. And I worked at Best Buy for a long time. So I would buy burnable CDRs, just like Memorex CDRs and just burn copies and copies and copies um, to where eventually we're like, okay, well let's get a CD burner. Remember when you could buy CD Mm -hmm. burners? Uh, So we got one of those and just on a small scale mass produced them um, and would just sell them at shows for like five bucks. And then when we did buried though, then we were like, okay, well we need to get, on like on a site where we can actually upload the songs and and the artwork and get uh, I, I want to say we did it through CD Baby, maybe where we got like an actual company to print everything and we paid to get the artwork done professionally and that kind of thing. Then you're that was a that was a kind of a surreal moment like when those showed up and it was like wow that's 
I have a CD now. It's kind of weird. It's not something I copied from my computer. Like a company did this, I recorded it. It's that was a pretty surreal moment. And uh, but yeah, those were the two before we signed to standby though. Well, those two releases, the you know, obviously Beneath the Scars was kind of probably one that you used to not only just give out very cheaply, but was probably about giving people the awareness that the band existed. But were those mm-hmm. two releases doing much for you in the local scene? Like, was it helping you get a foothold and rise the ranks per se? It did. It did actually. Yeah. Um, we uh, we were putting Beneath the Scars. We did like we did a ton of that grunt work that you would do back in the day. Like we printed out our own flyers and we had just a bunch of copies that we did. Uh, we would drive, we would go to local malls and drop them off at hot topics and stuff. And, um, there was a local record store kind of a couple blocks away from the white rabbit. We would take stuff there. Um, we actually had a CD release show for beneath the scars, but it wasn't in San Antonio. It was actually in Houston because we kind of had like a, it was a pretty quick following from Houston kids for some reason, which was cool. But the beneath the scars release show was actually in technically Pasadena, but it's close to Houston. Um, but then we, uh, that did well enough and we were doing fine with the beneath the scars stuff that when Barry came out, we had the CD release show at the white rabbit and it did great. I mean, it wasn't like upon a burning body numbers cause they were already like getting, getting a lot of hype back then at that point. But in like 2011 or so when Barry came out, then, then that's when like numbers were starting to do kind of well, as far as like being a local band who's getting some traction. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> beneath the scars wasn't great, but it definitely, you know, with the physical work that we put into getting that out there, that definitely helped for sure. And then little by little helped get to buried and then buried was, Barrier is where we kind of eventually got in contact with some industry people and small manager stuff. You also, during this this period, which a lot of bands go through, there must have been a kind of learning process with the right moves and the wrong moves to make. You know, a lot of a lot of people maybe listening are in a band that's trying to start out. You know, there's those mistakes that people make. You know, they're a, a new band and they print out 600 T-shirts but only actually have 500, uh, 100 fans, sorry to sell shirts to. So obviously Mm -hmm. that process you're going through, but also you can hear the musical difference over the time with Silence of the Messenger and especially with your vocal delivery. Were you finding you were getting more and more confident and your skills were getting better and better because you watch your transition over those releases releases in Silence and it's like, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, I yeah, and and it's not like a pat myself on the back kind of way, but I know I know what you're talking about, and I've thought about that before. Like if I go listen to old recordings, which sound cool for what they were at the time, but then going from that to to the first album to Achilles and then Proclamation, it's like you hear something different that I was doing on each record, and I mean it has to do with who you record with, but I've always wanted to try something new every time I record a record. I want to push myself a little bit more, like give give what I know people like from me and still do that, but to try new stuff. I always want to try new stuff and try and uh, get better. And like, cause I mean, it's a, it's in some ways a competition of sorts, really. I mean, people love, people love a good vocalist. And you know, if you're not keeping up your chops, there's a million other dudes that will be like ready to take your spot if the time ever came. So, you know, you have to be on top of your shit. And, uh, I have, I have kind of noticed that before when I listen to old stuff, I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool, but I wish I could have done this at the time. But, um, like buried stuff was very 
straightforward, just a lot of lows and highs, uh, and that was kind of it. Achilles, I started bringing in a little bit more of that new metal influence with some like different tones and uh, a lot more mid-range stuff. Um, and then Proclamation was just a step, uh, even more, even more of that like uh, experimental stuff. And then we added the singing, at, the clean singing at that point um, with Jared. So yeah, it's definitely like always that drive to want to do to do better and not just and not just stay stagnant and release the same. I don't want to put. I don't want to give the same exact performance over and over and over. Um, there's only so many bands that can pull that off, and the and fans will still be about it. Um, it's just not the way my brain works, though. So I'm always wanting to better myself and try more stuff. So, are you a yeah. um, are you a vocalist that from the offset have you been comfortable with hearing your own voice, like whether it's live or on recording, or are you so wanting to push it that you're always trying to find little bits in it that you're like, look, I love that bit there but i don't like the bridge you know what do you like with hearing your vocals oh uh kind of kind of both of those like i'm actually i'm very comfortable with like uh with how it sounds like in in studio and stuff um i've never unless there's like a specific effect that we're putting on the on the vocals like like to add a cool special effect to it i've been pretty adamant about not changing too much like just keep it pretty i mean other than like small tweaks that everybody adds um uh, keep it keep it as like raw and pretty much normal as as you can um, because then it's easy for me to just say like that's just how I sound um, uh, but then also at the same time though I am I do get particular where um, there were times when we were recording I guess you know any of the records where I'd be like I like that take a lot but let me I really want to see if I can get this little bit at the end or you know let me try it one more time I know we're good those takes will do but give me one more shot at it just for fun I, I do that a lot though so I'm used to so it's kind of a yes to both where I come comfortable with how it sounds but I'm always wanting to get like get that little extra that not everybody's going to appreciate but I'm going to know that I did it and if I feel like I gave up in the studio then it'll bug me so mm-hmm. I want to know that I gave it every attempt that I could to get it how I want it and make the guys happy too. But it's one of those is like, well, this is my performance on the album and I want it to sound up to my standards. So kind of both. Yeah. Now we, you mentioned already the next kind of step in the silence, the messenger storyline, which was the signing and also Achilles. Now, how did the link up come about? You roughly mentioned before, you know, it's when you started speaking to some industry people, you know, did you guys hunt people down or were people approaching you? We, um, we actually got approached. Um, we got approached by, um, a management company. Uh, that was our first, first thing. Like, I mean, you're kind of always looking and talking to, talking to signed bands and stuff, your touring buddies at, at shows, um, you know, hoping somebody will like pitch you or whatever. But we actually got approached, um, during the buried, uh, time, uh, by a guy named Richard Harrington. Uh, he used to work for, uh, this small company at the time called active management. And I was actually kind of familiar with a couple of the bands on it. And I was like, Oh, this is a cool start like that. Okay, cool. I've heard of those bands. Um, and then that led to, him getting us in touch with um what at the time uh i don't remember if we had a we had i think one booking agent before but the main guy that he got us hooked up with was oh he had a small guy um on a on a agency called tsa it was trevor swinson touring agency 
Um, but Trevor Swinson is who we ended up actually having as a booking agent after that. But we had some smaller guy that worked under him at that time. Um, and that was kind of like our first small, like, okay, we have a couple people behind us. And like, they were, um, the first booking agent guy didn't really last very long. Um, I feel bad because I don't remember who it was, but it was, it was so long ago. Uh, but we ended up actually like the Trevor Swinson agency fell apart and he went to, he eventually went to, to artery global, which is like, there's like the three branches of artery. The artery global was the booking. Then there was uh, artery foundation was the management and then artery recordings was the label. Um, eventually Richard Harrington, you know, had to go off and do, do some other stuff. And he went on to work with some like big bands later down the road, like suicide silence and, uh, do some other like tour managing stuff. Um, so he's still a buddy of mine. We keep in contact every once in a while, but <clears throat> then it was like, okay, well now we're getting, getting somewhere else and we eventually got picked up by artery management also and then it was uh well before we did that i'm skipping a little bit but before we got the artery management we were working with trevor swenson as a booking agent he he was actually kind of doing some management work for us like helping us get a find a label and so he was kind of pulling double duty for a little bit and he uh we had a we had a potential offer he said from uh uh, a, a decent sized label who in, that ended up kind of falling apart, but the, they were taking their time sending us over an actual contract and standby records was ready to go. They were like, you know, like, no, we'd like, we want the band and uh, figured out the contract and stuff. And then went from there. So it was like, we had like small management in the beginning and then our booking agent actually was doing a lot of the work uh, to get us signed. Um, and then from there, then it was like, okay, well now we need to get the guys a manager and we kind of figured some stuff out from there. Um, but we, but we actually got approached, I guess, to answer your question and then passed around. Did, uh, did Achilles do a lot for you guys? Because I feel like it was a, a step up and then it feels like, you know, we'll get to it, but the proclamation came out and then it wasn't long after it, you guys called, called it a day. So, yeah. I mean, there, there must be more to the story that the band looked like it was on the trajectory and then suddenly like breaks are put on and it's like, mm, yeah, enough's enough. Yeah, quite quite literally what happened i mean yeah achilles achilles did well for us um achilles did well we i think we ended up doing besides like local like home shows we probably did at least like six or seven tours off of it um so i mean we had a for a small band we had a pretty decent album cycle uh for achilles the tours weren't like great or big or anything like we had like a couple cool things come out of it we met some friends that we're still friends with now because of it um so small stuff to be grateful for like that um but, uh, but, uh, I mean, it was, uh, it's like that, like workhorse stage where you're like, okay, things are in motion, but it's like, how long do we do the grunt work tours before we start getting like good, like solid tours? Like the, one of the big, the best things that I always thought we got out of it was, uh, we got to do a, a tour with Chimera and I'd always liked Chimera since I was a kid. And I was like, that's badass. Hell yeah. Um, so that was a fun tour. Uh, that was the one that ended up being Chimera's final tour. And I was like, oh, shit, kind of random. Um, but at that point, though, that's when it's like, well, all right, if we can get a Chimera tour, now our foot should be in the door uh, to get to get bigger tours along the same lines, at least. If not, we could be one out of five on a bigger, on a bigger run. Um, but then everything that was coming after that was not near as good. Um, I mean, uh, we had a, one tour after that with a band that was on the Chimera tour called Upon This Dawning. They're from Italy. Mm -hmm. Some of those shows were fun. 
Um, but that was really the, like the last, the last uh, STM tour. And then any offer that came after that was just shit. And we were like, what's going on? Why is, why is nothing happening? And then the closest we ever got, I think the last little light at the end of the tunnel was there was going to be a white chapel tour that we were going to do, but we, we were going to buy onto it. And the label, the label was actually willing to pay the money for it. Um, but we like got outbid and then they didn't want to spend any more on it. And so it never happened. And then pretty much after that, like the artery management all kind of fell apart. Um, they dropped all of their bands except for Chelsea Grand and Attila um, when they started a new management company. So any other artery bands kind of got the shaft. And <clears throat> so we ended up firing uh, Trevor. Um, and like, we're still, we're still friends now and he gets it. Like he just, he couldn't do anything and he was open about it. He's like, I just can't, I, nobody's biting. And, um, so it just kind of was what it was. And we tried to work with a couple of smaller agents after that, but they couldn't pull anything. And then, uh, so as we were trying to do the proclamation, um, we, it was already, it was a struggle from the get go doing that album. Like the, the songs were all ready to go. We got to got we got to record it with a guy we wanted to of our choosing that we wanted to go with, uh, a guy named Josh Wickman who does a lot of the within the ruins stuff, and then, um, but they were like acting really shitty with the budget, and our manager at the time like pulled money out of his own pocket to pay to pay Josh, and then was waiting for the, had to hound the label to um, to pay him back. Um, and I, I'm, and just as a forewarning, I'm saying some negative things about the label, but I don't give a fuck because they, they screwed us hard over and mm. uh, they, they came out with, you know, screwing a bunch of other bands over like, and to be fair, there was a, there was a couple guys at the end that did try and help, you know, but they were new to the company and, you know, they were just doing their best to like pick up the pieces. But, um, but, uh, it was a struggle from the get go. Once the proclamation was starting to get underway, like, um, they i think they tossed us some gas money or something like to get we recorded it from we drove from texas to michigan in fucking january we were, we were in, in the studio in michigan in january and it's like frozen outside all day every day and they, it was just very much like they weren't involved with the recording process very much at all they were just kind of waiting and <clears throat> like when we did the first album we did achilles uh it was at the standby uh the, stu the studio there was at the record label headquarters and the owner was there and everything. He like met us at the gate and showed us around, but we were there for like three weeks, never popped his head in once to wonder what was going on. Mm. And I was like, okay, all right, well, fine. I mean, we're doing it, but uh, then there was just a bunch of other stuff after like they didn't want to print physicals for proclamation. That's why it's only available digitally. So like, I don't even have a physical copy of it. I have artwork. That would have been a physical copy, but I don't have, I don't have a physical copy though. So, I mean, it was just a shit show. Once, once we tried to do proclamation, that was pretty much like, if they're treating us like this and we can't get tours and it's just, it was just pretty much no light at the end of that tunnel. And we didn't even get to do a single tour off of that album. So it's, it was just, it was a rough end. It is a rough end because, you know, you, you look at, it came out and then I think it came out around the start of 2016 and then August 2016, you guys announced that, you know, the, the show you had coming up was the last show you were doing. I know you did yeah. a one-off kind of full lineup show in 19. Uh, yeah. But that's, you know, it's an insult to local bands. 
that are, <laughs> yeah, it's an insult, man, because you guys, you can see the potential that this band had and has, and it feels like you were being let down by the people that should have been pushing you or picking you yeah. up. Quite literally, yeah, and it's tough because it's like you don't know every single business decision on their end, like why they're doing certain things, and they're not always going to tell you. Mm. So all sometimes all you get is just the silence, and you have to deal with it and be like, okay, we're getting the shaft now. Like, we either have to power through it or or give up. And it's that tough thing where the band has was getting some momentum, and it's where you would expect uh, things to pick up and just keep getting better and better. Um, but it's that tough time where like you're touring a lot, but you're still kind of a small band trying to break through that wall. And so you're putting a lot of money and time into it and not getting a whole lot back. And it's that grunt work stage that every band goes through, but some bands come out on the other side and some don't. Mm. And we were just like, there was so there was just a few moving pieces that were just, the foundation was never super stable. It was always something. And because it wasn't like a group of people all lined up with a goal in mind from day one. It was just like individual people, like poor communication sometimes, mostly on the label end, but it's, it's, you're right. It is a bit of a, like a slap in the face at the end. It's like, we, we put in a lot of effort. And uh, <clears throat> so what I kind of got down to was in between when the album, when proclamation came out and before we announced we were doing that last show, um, me, Paolo and our drummer, Fernando, we drove out to a fest that happens in Dallas every year, or at least it was happening every year called South by So What, uh, put on by a buddy of mine named Mike Zemer. And, um, and it's usually where you'll see a lot of touring bands that you're friends with. So it's like kind of a big friend fest of, of sorts. And so it was just happening like in a weekend up there. And one of the main artery guys, Mike Milford was there. And like, I've known him for a long time since probably like 2010, um, and he was always like our manager's boss at artery. So it's like, we had a small connection to him. He would help out a little bit. And he even did the album artwork for proclamation. Uh, so he was loosely connected to the band for a little while. Um, but I had, um, uh, I, I do you want, did it, were you an office fan? Did you watch, do you watch the office? Did you watch it? Okay. Do you remember that episode? Do you remember that episode where Jim is trying to really, uh, get the sale from that guy and they're playing golf together all day and he tries like three different times that was and at the very end the guy's getting his car and driving off and he's like i gotta ask you mm -hmm. one last time what can i do to get your business and um that was me when we were up at that fest i i uh had a few beers throughout the day so i had a little bit of liquid courage but that was my moment uh so i uh i dragged mike aside and was like hey man can i just have a quick convo with you and uh he's like yeah okay what's up and i was i was uh i just said you know like i remember back in 2010 uh we had a conversation on the phone um <clears throat> he wanted me to to take over singing for one of his bands back then and i told him no i was like i appreciate the offer but i want to build up silence messenger i want that to be my thing it's a very prideful thing um but i asked him uh you know back then you told me stick with it, keep working. And I think eventually we'll work together someday. And I have, I got the band signed. We've been touring, we've been working our asses off. And, and I know that when artery fell apart, you had to drop a lot of bands, but you've started a new management company. And I'm just wondering why you haven't picked up STM. Like, I just, I got to ask you like, what's the deal? And he's like, okay, I can appreciate the effort. You're, you know, asking me this. Okay. Let's, let's talk about it. So what he said was, 
he loves the band. Um, music's cool. He likes the guys. But we've actually, at that point, been around so long. Everybody knows who we are. And, like, we made a lot of friends and stuff. But it's not necessarily in a, a good way that everybody knows who we are. It's kind of like we were, like, oh, STM. Okay, yeah. But, like, what's the latest and greatest? What's popping right now type of thing? He's just like, you guys didn't pop. Like, everything about it is cool. Um, it's just that there was always somebody a little bit more popular, a little bit more, like, fresh. And you guys have been around. But it's been – it dragged over these years and it just I could never do anything with it and so that was my like gym moment of like what would it take to work with you and so he then he said he's like look I'll make you a deal uh break up silence the messenger um and let's start a new project you can keep the same guys just give me new music we'll put a new name on it I'll help rebrand the entire thing with you from the ground up and you'll be my band and I was like awesome okay cool so I talked with Paolo and Fern on the way home I talked to the guys um and uh <clears throat> and we were all on board we're like okay if that's what we got to do i mean it sucks because we put a lot of effort into this but it's just the way it goes sometimes so then we started putting together a whole new project and at this point Paolo would was already starting to do some touring with within the ruins because they'd asked him to fill in and then like back of your mind you kind of know that it was going to be permanent but you don't want to you know you're like no stm still right and he's like yeah yeah, yeah. um mm. so uh, he was willing to do it, try and pull, you know, double duty and do both bands. And we got, we took new promo pictures. We had like two or three songs put together already. And we sent stuff over to Milford. He was about it. Um, and we were ready to get the ball rolling. And then all of a sudden uh, he joined, he starts working for Rise Records and uh, he brings like Chelsea Grin with him over to Rise and he gets just super caught up doing Rise stuff and then didn't have time to do it. And so we were this close to just doing another project thing. And then I was like, after that, that fell apart. And I was like, well, all right, I guess yes. now. So we just do that final show. And then I'm just sitting around for a little while without knowing what's going to happen. That they're like, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm fucking, I'm angry for you. Cause that's, that's <clears throat> in a way that that is, he's way. I think first off, I think it's a bit of an insult to say that because you guys have worked so hard at it for X amount of years, that means you're never going to make it. I think that's doesn't matter if you haven't had that one song or that one moment that's made you popular. It doesn't mean it won't happen. Yeah. Um, not every band becomes an overnight success. Yeah. Some bands, it takes years to grind at it. So that's first off, I feel like a kick in the teeth. And then the big kick in the balls is saying, look, go do this and then we'll do it. And mm-hmm. then you go do that, and then he's like, "Yeah, sorry, yeah, can't yeah. Like, yeah, yeah." And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I felt that way too because I'm like, in a way, and uh, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying anything to be negative about Mike because mm-hmm. I do, do still talk to him every once in a while, and he keeps in contact with the band, and you know, uh, he's good friends with our manager, and like, and I and I like the guy. I get, I mean, I get it. Just sometimes stuff happens, but it did feel like a kick in the balls, but twice, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay. He didn't pick up my band a long time ago. Um, and now I do all the stuff you asked me to do. And you don't do it again. And I'm like, man, like what, like what else do I need to do to, to get to where I need to be or to feel like I deserve to be, you know, what else do I have to do? I've, you know, gone on tours with like 60 bucks in my bank account and had to survive on like bread and water for a few weeks. And, um, or whatever shitty meal the venue would provide. You know, you do those tours, you, you're broke for a while. Then I didn't have a job for a while, and I'm still doing it. And somehow finding a way to, like, print merch. I'm selling the guitars that I 
bought in high school to like help pay for stuff for STM tours. And then you do all this just to, just to get told that like, yeah, it'll happen. And then it doesn't again, you know, and it sucks. It's been, it was, it's been a fun, but it's been a rough journey, you know, up mm. so I, and then, and again, it's kind of one of those, like, if I didn't go through it, would I even be here at this point? Don't know. Probably not. Mm. So yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree totally. It was a big, a big slap in the face, but sometimes it's like people that work that same, same level of, uh, put that same effort in that we did. If not more so some bands go through really tough shit. Um, it's not easy when you're not a small band, you don't have big budgets or, you know, it's not easy. And some, some bands don't even make it as far as we did. So it's in a way it's, you know, you still have to be grateful for what you did get, you know, I, they didn't have to reach out to us and say, Hey, we want to work with your band. Uh, nobody ever had to do that, you know, but here we are now. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing you, you said in there that I think is probably the, the one little takeaway. You know, you go through that and now what you're going through makes it feel like, you know, you appreciate it more and it was worth it. You know, th there was the lows yeah. that have brought you to a high. So the first mm -hmm. thing before we get into the joining within the ruins is what did you do with yourself for two years? I know you bartend. So were you bartending mm -hmm. that whole time? Did you completely give up any hope of musical endeavors? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I mean that we did that final show and then I was working at a different bar at the time and I was just a bar back. Uh, but I was in a really good place. I think, you know, after I kind of accepted it, we did the show and I was dating somebody at the time, which ends up being what a lot of black heart is about. Um, and I was actually kind of becoming content with like, okay, well maybe if my time is done, then it is what it is and I'm doing all right now. Okay. You know, all right then. So I've got, I've got a job where I'm making good money and I'm in what I thought was a relationship with somebody and, uh, I could be fine with kind of living normal life now, I suppose. And I, I guess in a way I'd probably given up a little bit. I just figured, you know. I had an all right run. I got, I got signed. I might've been to a small label, but I got signed and was able to tour. Some bands don't even get to tour. And, um, you know, I've got my voices out there on, on some recordings and I, I did all right. Could have been, could have been fine. And then out of nowhere, I was, I, when it was pretty much just like, well, this is just my life now. Um, I'm sitting at the gym and we were actually talking about it. It's funny. We're doing the interview today because, I'm telling this story today because today is the three-year anniversary of us announcing me as the singer for Ruins. And so we were talking about it in the group chat a little bit today. And Paolo was just kind of like, do you remember we were just like sitting at a gas station and Joe was like, who do we know that's a singer? And Paolo's like, Steve's just sitting at home, obviously not doing anything. So I was sitting at the gym when Joe texted me and he's like, uh, hey, <laughs> I was like, what's up? And at this point though, I'm a little you know, like happy for Paolo, but a little salty because he went off and did it and he's doing well now. And, um, it's like, fuck man. Um, and Paolo wasn't even an original member of STM and, you know, I mean, he was there for a really long time. Don't get me wrong. And he definitely earned his, earned his keep. Um, but I was like, well, good for Paolo, but like, I want to do shit too. And so I was a little salty about the situation. Um, but basically Joe was like, you know, we bullshitted for a couple minutes, but then he was like, so, uh, do you remember when we stole your guitarist? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, could we maybe, uh, steal you too? And I was like, okay, uh, for what? He's like, oh, just a tour that we're doing. 
Um, I was like, okay, when is it? And he's like, oh, right now. <clears throat> I was like, oh, okay. And this was like a Thursday, I think. I think it was a Thursday, maybe a Friday. Um, and he was like, yeah, long story short, Tim has to go home uh, with some health issues and we need you to finish. It was like a big, like five, five and a half week headliner that they were doing. Uh, so it was a big set and there was still like over two weeks left of the thing. It was about how, quite literally about halfway through. And what's funny is I had just seen that I had just gone on vacation for my 30th birthday and I saw, we went to Disney world with my parents and, uh, I, they had a show in Orlando the day that we were leaving. So I ended up but on our way to the airport. I saw the guys at a planet fitness out there just hanging out. I was like, Hey, what's up? Hey. Um, so realistically like a few weeks prior, I had just seen the guys either on that same tour just before I left. And, um, so I was like, okay, let me see if I can get it cleared through work. And I did. And he gave me the set list and I typed out all the lyrics on the computer and I put a binder together, um, of the set list in order. And, uh, so my head was just stuck in this binder trying to learn the lyrics, you know, over the next like 24 or 48 hours. And he booked me a flight to go out to California, but he booked it over, uh, it was like a, one of the daylight savings weekends in, um, in fall, the fall one. And so I actually ended up missing my, it said one thing on the confirmation, it said one time. And then the, it, I, somehow it didn't transfer over to that day, I guess, where I had actually missed the flight because then the time changed on the, when I looked it up again, I was like, wait, what? So I missed the flight and there wasn't a way for me to make it. So I actually got one more day at home to study, which kind of helped out. But then I flew out the next day and it was the very first day I wanted to, I think it was Santa Cruz where I flew out to, and I still don't know every word to all the songs. I'm very familiar with it because we met the guys a long time ago and I'm familiar with the albums and I actually enjoy the music too. So it's not like I don't know the songs at all where I'm going in blind, but it's one of those, well, I'm just used to kind of drinking and hanging out with the guys and vaguely knowing the songs. And so I don't know every detail of every song. And so it's different when you try and learn every in and out of all the lyrics and stuff. So I was like, oh, that's how that goes. Damn. Okay. And so I'd make little marks on the lyrics, like, okay, this comes in on the upbeat, this comes in on the down. I'd put little dots or like when I, I helps me, excuse me, helps me know little, little cheat notes on the typed out lyrics to know when something's going to come in and helps me learn it better. Um, it was just my process. And then, so like that first night I figured I would still have a night or two to kind of watch the guys do the set and get a feel for it live. And we're in the green room and Joe is just like, so, uh, you think you're going to be ready to go? And I was like, no, but fuck it. Let's just do it. And uh, they had done a couple um, instrumental shows, like while they were waiting for me to get out there, like they sent Joe home. I mean, they sent Tim home and they were trying to figure it out. And then like for three, a few, I think about three shows or so, I could be wrong. They were um, just playing instrumental sets. And then a couple of the guys from the pack package got on stage to sing like one or two songs just to try and help out. Um so like the, you know, first few nights I like, I mean, I didn't have it all down. I had my binder on stage and like, I would look at like flip the page in between songs and like get a quick memory real quick. And I, you know, and I was honest about it too. I was like, Hey, obviously I'm not Tim, but you know, I'm doing my best. And if you guys do know the words, please come help me out. Um, and then I remember like that very first night, some guy from like the back of the room was like, you're killing it. You're doing great. Just keep going. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, whatever. Um, so that was kind of the start of it. I was like filling in and just to kind of help them finish out that tour. And, uh, and it felt, it felt good. It was like, the shows were cool. We were treated nice. And 
it was a little awkward hopping into some of like the VIP meet and greets because I wasn't Tim and I wasn't, nobody knew who I was. And like, they probably wanted to meet him, but I'm like, Hey, you got me. <laughs> uh, sorry. You spent money on this to not meet Tim, but Joe drummer and Paolo are here. I hope that's enough. And, uh, the, I, but everybody was very, very cool about it. The guys on the, all the other bands were really cool. Uh, cool. And like, uh, <clears throat> cool, friendly. And every, all the fans at every show were very like, they're like, hey, man, I, I know you don't know every single song, but, like, you killed it. You sounded great. Um, there was a show in Minneapolis where, like, literally they chanted, Steve, Steve, Steve. I was like, what the fuck is happening? What, like, this is, like, way more love than I thought I would get. And then, but it went well. And then um, that's kind of that. It was kind of a good test, though, because it's like, you know, you're friends with guys for a long time, but you don't live in the van with them for weeks at a time. I was used to my guys. I'm used to Paolo. But how do Joe and Drummer act on tour? I don't know. Um I only see them like the once or twice if I see them here in San Antonio or if I would drive to Austin or whatever, I'd see them for a night, but I don't know what it's like to live in the van with them. So, uh, it ended up going super smooth and then the holidays went by and that's when, uh, Joe was letting me know, uh, like, Hey, we're probably ready to make that sever that tie with Tim and kind of start, start over if you want to join the band and then our manager, Scott, had had a couple phone calls with me about it, too, trying to persuade me. And But like I said, I was very acclimated to my regular life at that point. So I didn't know if I wanted to hop back in and if filling in for Within the Ruins was going to be um, my last little hurrah, then cool, so be it. <clears throat> but they came at me after the holidays saying, you know, we want you in the band. And so it took a little persuading because I was just used to my life at that point and then eventually I was like, you know what? I need to do this. Uh, I've it, kind of that slap in the teeth came back to me and, um, uh, was like, I need to do this and I'll, I'll kick my own ass down the road if I don't do it. So, so I was like, yeah, I'm in, let's do it. Big step as well. I mean, you know, within the ruins were an R, sorry, are a, a name like, yeah. Around the world, you mentioned the name of the band and everyone knows it. So to go from giving it all and then feeling like that's it to then stepping in and per to start off filling, but then step in and become the vocalist of that band. I mean, is there a sense of like nervousness, pressure, expectation, or were you just, you know, let's fucking do it? Uh definitely both again i mean <clears throat> uh because it's it's very much like okay well if i'm gonna do this then yeah let's just fucking do it let's let's go um you know what i'm i'm given a second chance and not everybody is and i'm ultra grateful for it and i felt like for even even now i still walk this fine line of like i'm super grateful to be given another opportunity because some guys don't or, or girls uh don't get a second chance if they're first project fails or doesn't get to where they want to go and they don't always get another opportunity to to do this and i got given that shot so part of me is very humble about it but then i feel like it's a dr jekyll mr hyde where i'm also like no i fucking deserve this i went through a lot of shit so um i try and obviously keep the humble side of it um present and kind of just put that out there more but uh yeah, man, I do feel though like I, I earned it though. So, I that line a lot. But the the pressure was there because you're right. It's a, it's 
it's a household name. Everyone, a lot of people know who the band is. It's not just a, like if you mentioned Silence the Messenger, like some people might be like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know who your band is. But then some would be like, dude, I have no idea. I've never heard of you. So, but it's not on that level. It's a lot bigger level. And Tim's been in the band for a decade. So I have shoes to fill. So there was that, that pressure of whether you like me better than Tim or if you like Tim better than me, it doesn't matter because people are so used to him and how it sounds that any change is not going to be welcome, at least not right away. You know, you're going to have to prove it to some people. And, uh, and I was ready for that little, little scared for it, but I was confident enough. Uh, you know, you know, I know what I can do. And Tim is a friend of mine and he was very, uh, gracious when it came to like, if anybody's going to take my spot, I'm glad it's you, you know, not some random guy that I don't know, or I don't trust. And I have full faith that you're going to do it just as well. Um, <clears throat> and do the songs justice. So, uh, so he's been very cool about this whole thing. Like we, we, we still talk a lot. I actually texted him this morning. Um, uh, so, I mean, yeah, but still pressure though, because, you know, people are, people can be super fickle now, especially, um, they're, when they're again, used to hearing something and it all of a sudden changes and they're like, nah, you know, it's very easy to poo poo it. So you kind of, you do have to prove it to people. So I was ready to do that, but still nervous about it at the same time, but excited, you know. Well, I think you, you've definitely um, kind of set a bar for listeners. And, you know, you haven't, even if you were on the fence with maybe what you were going to deliver, you know, you listen to Black Heart and it's like, this, you can't deny that it's a, just a banging album. And it's, you know, it's naturally probably where the band already needed to go. You could hear the, you know, the band were trying to switch gears a little bit on the previous album or two and you've come in and it's been the perfect, not to say Tim couldn't have done it, but I'm saying it's, no. it's worked out perfectly. Um, yeah. But it, I know there was quite a bit of problems, obviously outside COVID, but there's quite a bit of problems getting even Blackheart done for a while. Yeah, I mean, because there's the there's the, the like the obvious thing like Paolo and I live here in San Antonio, and then Joe and Drummer live out in Massachusetts. So there's traveling involved. Um, uh, so, but the label's been very supportive and helpful <clears throat> when it comes to flying us out. And uh, you know, and I know Joe's spent his own money on some stuff too to make certain things happen. And uh, it's a really fun process recording the album. Uh, as, not as far as like a lyrical content goes, that was like uh, painful. But the recording with the guys was a lot of fun though, because Joe's studio is attached to his brewery that he owns, and um, so it's like we'll be recording and then literally just walk through some doors, and the brewery is right there, and so we just have beer at our disposal, and so it made the recording fun. He always would pick us up at the airport. We just crash in the studio. Um, uh, it's, it, I mean, we're, you know, very well taken, taken care of when we go out there to do this stuff. Um, <clears throat> but it would be like, Joe would put maybe two or three songs into a Dropbox after he'd, you know, done the scratch tracks and programs some drums so we can hear what it all sounds like. And then I'll write to those two or three and then we'll go out and record them for about a week and then fly home for a couple months. And then that we would just repeat that process like a handful of times, uh, just so we flied out multiple times and just did a couple, two or three tracks at a time. And then eventually we finished the recording process right under the radar. Like when the lockdowns were starting to happen and people couldn't do anything. And we, uh, 
ended up doing one song on the album called Open Wounds. We actually recorded that here in San Antonio with our old drummer, Fernando, from Silence the Messenger um, at his studio. So that's kind of where he went on his music journey. Uh, he records a bunch of local bands and uh, produces his own video content. His YouTube channel is doing great. His, you know, his, his Instagram numbers are solid. Like he's doing really well for himself. And we just ran out of time to do that last song. But Joe was like, just have, just have Fern do it. I trust you guys. And like, we just sent it back to Joe and he's like, this fucking sounds great. And uh, we left a nice big gap in the middle for him to like fill in tons of shreddy solo stuff, like really show off, which was kind of part of two of like doing this record the way that we did. We wanted to make sure that people knew like, Hey, we can still do old fast shreddy within the ruins and uh, we're not dumbing anything down. Um, but that was fun recording that one song back home uh, because the STM guys all kind of came over and, uh, so we, they kind of all put like their input and we kind of just drank and hung out uh, that day while I did the song. And it was, it's kind of cool that like in a small way, a little piece of them is in the record also now because Fern, Fern recorded it and then they, they gave their input on certain parts. And so that was kind of, that was a fun day to record that track. But we got it all done right right before COVID was really rolling out. And so at that point, we really just had to wait for mixing and mastering. But we got all the tra traveling for the most part done before it all started which is now a year ago did you ever consider about not releasing it um because it came out in november uh last year did you ever think mm -hmm. about not releasing it in this time because as you know and listeners know when you release an album you tour before the release to build up attention then you tour during the release to build up attention you know it's got to take quite a bit of thought and um deliberation to put out an album when you can't tour yeah, it's tough. It's tough because Within the Ruins is already one of those bands that puts two to three years in between a record. They don't just pump them out. Um, Joe's very particular with what he writes and how, like, we scrapped it, like, I think at least two or three songs for this album. Not that they were bad songs, but they were, like, kind of the earlier ones before we got our groove into where the album was going to go. Um, and that was a really cool back and forth. Joe noticed what I was doing vocally and lyrically, and he, he started to adjust what he was doing guitar-wise to kind of work with that. And he's like, Oh, this works perfectly. This is just going to be an angry pissed off, like darker within the ruins record, which is a cool kind of change of pace. Like the halfway human was this cool, like, okay, we're doing different types of songs. We're incorporating clean singing and the song structures are really cool, but it's all still heavy and technical. But, uh, before that it was phenomena, you know, it was comic book stuff. And, um, so there's like different, different sort of vibes and feels to each record, but there's never been one that's like super, dark and uh gritty and uh painful sounding you know what i mean um so it's a really cool like different direction for the band and joe started to write that way also once he realized what i was talking about in my songs um so that ended up being kind of cool um the way that the that everything started to roll out together but it was a big like okay well we're putting this time between recording processes because we kind of have to but by the time this is finished, um, we knew we already knew that once COVID started to be a thing, that we were like, oh, great. Um, well, the record's done on our end, but now it's kind of like, well, how long is this going to last? How long do we have to actually wait? Do we do we rush it? I mean, do we just drop it even though we can't tour? Do we do we wait? Um, but we were already at that point where. And again, today's the three-year anniversary of us announcing that I'm in the band. So 
people have been waiting for almost three years for like, okay, there's a new guy, but where's the album? So there was a big like, what do we do? You know, do we, they've, have they waited long enough? Do we wait for COVID to end? Um, and so ultimately we're like, we just need to put it out. And I mean, uh, we've got enough <clears throat> like content and stuff that we're working on to kind of keep, keep the ball rolling and not lose momentum. So, uh, so that's, that's cool. But it, it definitely was a struggle though, because I've seen, I've seen every band go through the same decision-making process of we're just going to wait. Mm. We're just going to wait till it puts out. And that's fine. Some bands can afford to do that where it does, it's not really going to hurt their progress or their current state. Um, and some bands are like, no, we need to put something out. And I've actually been super grateful for all the stuff that has come out during, during these times. There's been some really solid albums that I just love that I'm happy exist now. And I haven't had to wait for them. I mean, that's just me, but I see both sides of the argument for sure. And I think we just got to a point where we were like, we can't wait. People have waited long enough. And if we, who knows when it's going to be done, uh, the, the COVID stuff, who knows when that's going to end. So we kind of, we just decided to pull the trigger and drop it. So We'll see what happens. Well, I'm glad you did, man, because I'm, I'm a bit like you. You know, it doesn't matter if bands can't tour. I still want to consume things. Um, I still like yeah. to listen to music. So I'm stoked on it. You know, I wanted to talk about You've touched on it a couple of times. You know, it is, it feels like you definitely poured a lot of yourself into this. Um, it's very frank and honest. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, and dark. No, thank you. And dark and gritty, which, you know, it kind of needed yep. to be. Um were you nervous or worried about kind of putting yourself out as open as you did or was it kind of you needed it for your own self-therapy and kind of venting? Um, I, I mean, I, I hate to keep giving the answer, but it's it was actually both of those mm. things. I mean, like it, I needed it for myself. Uh, absolutely. Like I had a lot of the, the lyrics already ready to go. I mean, even I think it was just kind of like part of my uh, dealing process, like, I don't have, I don't work at that establishment anymore. I'm a lot happier where I am now. And I became a bartender at the new one. I would still be bar backing at the other one. That's not to disrespect the job. It's a very necessary job in the service industry, but um, given the chance to grow and be creative with drinks and stuff is works a lot better with, with my brain. Cause I like to be creative and come up with stuff. So bartending is a lot of fun doing craft cocktails and, and stuff. So I like that a lot. Uh, but obviously I'm not with that girl anymore. And that's what, um, a good chunk of the stuff, Blackheart, the track is obviously about that, but then some of the songs stemming from Blackheart kind of deal with the aftermath and, uh, the process of me handling it after because of that and some of that stuff. So, and I don't, so I don't have any of the, um, situation that I was in at that time. Uh, none of that's a thing anymore. So when I said I would kick my own ass down the road, I would, even if I still had it, I probably would be upset that I didn't do it. But now that I don't have any of that, I'm even more so glad that I took the job. Uh, so it's, it was a lot of like, I had these things written and I needed to say them anyways. And part of it from just like a, like a, like a, like a revenge aspect, like, no, I'm going to let people know, like, this is, this is what you did. And um, I'm like, okay, you did it, but now people are going to know about it. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of people, know about it now so so i do i did feel like i needed that for myself and i'm glad that i did it um but like i said part of it was a lot of this was already written and ready to go and i was i was a little you know nervous because again it is it's a lot more like you said honest um i put a lot of my personal stuff into it they're not it's not the same thing as writing a song about comic book characters and which is honestly super cool i love comic book stuff 
Um, that was a really cool concept album. I like that a lot. And it's still one of like the fans most favorite albums out of the catalog. Um, but it's me putting all this angry personal stuff in there is something that you really don't get in any of the other songs from before I was in. And so it is a little bit nerve wracking to be like, okay, here's this new guy. And he's just like emotional right off the bat and, you know, do it in the right way. And people are accepting of it. So you kind of have to walk that fine line of like, I'm not trying to be whiny about anything, but I am putting my feelings out there. And, you know, that's different for some people. Some people are like, fuck yeah, dude, I love a good emotional song because you can connect with it. And that's how I always like to write. I always like connecting with the stuff that I listened to as a teenager. And I was like, oh man, some of these guys are singing about stuff that really bugs them or they're going through some real stuff. And I liked that connection I felt to them when I was a kid. And so even with STM stuff, I would be writing things that could connect to other people. Now that I'm on the other side of that fence, that's kind of how I'm used to writing. And I was, you know, besides the obvious difference that Silence the Messenger was just a little more straightforward and, you know, metal, death metal, deathcore, whatever. And then Within the Ruins is very tempo changes uh, structure-wise and stuff and a little more all over the place. I had to think about, concentrate a little bit more, but it was a fun challenge. It was just um, a little a little nerve-wracking, though, yeah, to be like, okay, I'm, I've got shoes to fill, but I'm going to put myself out there, like, right off the bat and just, I hope it hope it sticks and but so i appreciate uh, your words about kind of noticing like yeah like i was being really honest um with a lot of the things that i was saying but that's what i wanted to get across so when i hear you say i noticed that and i it came across just that way then i'm like okay i did my job well dude you'll so. you'll everything you said there is the the same for me you know i when i go in to listen to music the musical side of it as in the instruments I'll, either, I'll pretty much always love, you know. You very rarely hear the band you don't love, but I connect on a listening standpoint with the lyrics and I prefer lyrics that are emotional and personal because, as you said, you feel that that person is being completely frank with you and you can find something in there that you connect with or you understand them more and they, for right. a listener, it feels less about this guy's got the microphone and he's on this pedestal. He's actually just like me. He's like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. He deals with these things. And I think for Within the Ruins, you not to say that fans won't like it, I think you're going to gain a whole lot of new fans to the band um, because yeah. the band might have been known as the band that was real techie and out of this world lyrical content and now they go, oh, well, they, they still do that, but now it's a bit more personal. It's a bit... It's, yeah, it's grounded, mm. you know, and it's, yeah, so yeah. Uh, I agree. And I mean, I think it's going to be, it's a really cool point for the band because it's one of those things where when you do bring on somebody new, then people are going to know about it. And I mean, don't, and don't get me wrong. I still see comments on stuff. They're like, wait, where's Tim? I'm like, dude, it's been a few years now. Like, <laughs> like what else do we need to do? There's a new guy. Um, but, uh, but it is one of those things where it's like, Oh, they have a new album out. Who's this new guy. And it kind of maybe like reintroduces the band to certain people. If they haven't listened for a while or, um, they start sharing it and they're like, Oh, this band does this now. And then, uh, it's just kind of a cool, like snowball effect. I think, uh, bringing in, bringing in a new singer is going to make some waves and the potential to bring on new fans is a lot higher instead of just, um, putting out an album, touring, putting out an album, touring. I mean, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool time. It's a cool chapter for the band because yeah, it's a, 
there's something new about it and you want to know what that is. So yeah, bring the potential to bring on new fans and stuff is a lot higher now. And I'm, I'm, I'm about it. It's again, it's still a little nerve wracking, but, but now I'm way more, the album's out and a lot of the uh, reviews and stuff have been really cool that, you know, a lot of cool praise from it. I mean, I still see the occasional, like bring back Tim or whatever, like new guys, good, but I miss Tim, whatever. And like, you know, that's going to happen. I'm not going to be like, if I don't win over every fan, I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I don't plan on doing that. I, I couldn't do that. Nobody could. But, you know, I'm here. I wrote the best album I could for what I wanted to say as a whole. And I don't know what the next album is going to be about. I do, hope I don't have to write this one again. You know, that's for sure. I'd rather do something different. But this one is what it is. And I think it's a really cool chapter for the band. And I can't really wait to start touring and like, um, actually kind of said it in my post today where I was like, even though it's been three years, I feel like we're kind of like just now getting started because now the album's out big picture wise, the first album with me is finally out. And so now we, the, the work begins of like the touring and stuff. So, uh, it's been just kind of a crazy road to get to like, damn, now the album's out. Okay, here we are. But now it's like, Oh, COVID. So here we are. <laughs> we're just, here. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting journey though, man. It's been, it's been cool though. I think it's, you know, you, you said it perfectly with the chapter thing. I think it's an exciting chapter for the band because, you know, it's you in the band now, the band's, you know, doing something a little bit different with the lyrical content, musical stuff is sounding just as good as ever. It's a new chapter, new fans. It's a new chapter in your progression and in your story, which is exciting as, as we've heard. <laughs> quite a fucking story yeah. so that's exciting um yeah man all we know is that look hopefully within the ruins can get on the road soon man let's like it's probably yeah overdue for a lot of bands but especially you guys you've released something you need to get out there and uh, play it live yeah definitely i mean the last like real tour that we did was that as dying run but that was like at the end of 2018 mm. so then after that like we had some winter shows right after that but it was just we were supposed to do china and japan but there were some visa issues and so we couldn't do it and then it was like well okay maybe we should just start writing the record and so then there's that whole time period where we're just writing and recording but when you think about the last time that we we're actually on like a, a real tour it was the end of 2018 mm. and that started 2021 you know it's like it's been a while since we've had some shows like i haven't been in a van with the guys in a long time you know it's kind of a weird thing to think about like you know, we didn't really lose. I mean, you probably, we probably lost like a little momentum after like right when I got announced and, and stuff, but the band was still moving, but now it's, you know, albums out and uh, hopefully we're kind of close, somewhat close to the end. I mean, we've started to see some tour offers kind of, kind of come through not in the States yet, but like for, uh, for Europe um for like fall winter time i don't know what we're gonna take I, but uh you know stuff is rolling in for potential possibilities but then i've seen stuff already being canceled so it's like is there hope is there not hope i don't know are we even going to tour in 2021 um i mean who knows but like i said we've got other content and stuff we're working on to keep people entertained and keep the ball rolling so we're not just like album and then stop <laughs> you know so like, we're working on it you know we're trying to keep keep like i said keep the ball rolling here so we don't put out an album and just no one cares after a while so hopefully well i'm stoked for for how the album's come out i'm stoked for whatever's next with content music tours um i'm stoked brother now 
we're going to end things on a silly note. Um, every, sure. Everyone gets it. Um, okay. I've had 151 guests, and everyone's had the same segment. It's called Pick Your Poison. Okay. Okay. Pick your poison. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Um, now, you get a choice of two. You pick your favorite of the okay. two. You don't have to justify your answer, but if you're worried about what answer you gave and you feel like you need to justify it, platform's yours. You're welcome to justify okay. it. Okay, cool. Okay. Some will be easy, some right. will be hard. We're going to start off with a pizza or a burger. Burger. Oh, oh ladies and gentlemen listening, I think he might find this easy off that first one. Uh, ribs or brisket? Brisket. Okay. I'm a southern boy, man. I got to know, I got to have my barbecue favorites. Uh, Chicken or beef? Beef. Okay. Because burgers, I guess, but you know, I love love chicken, but oh man, but I do love wings. Beef. (laughs) Beef. (laughs) Final answer. (laughs) Um, Chinese, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. I like Indian, but Chinese. I feel like I usually end up liking more of the menu. Okay. Soft or crunchy taco? Ooh. Uh, crunchy, if I'm doing tacos. I lo- I like burritos more. I'm a burrito guy, but crunchy tacos, though. Okay. What about a taco or a nacho? Shit. I think still tacos, but, and that's another thing, me and my girlfriend love nachos, too. So we do, we do, we like, we seek out nacho spots. Um, but damn it, if I can't find a good solid taco, then what's the point? I, th- I think I got to stick with taco. That was, that's probably the toughest so far. Taco though. Okay. Are you a guac man or a no guac? Oh, guac. I don't care how much it is. Put, load me up, dude. Yes, brother. Guac. Yes. Dude, I'll throw money at you. <laughs> give me the, give me, give me that green stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll ask for extras. Just give me lots of sides of guac. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Give me it all. Um, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Okay. Crunchy peanuts for psychopaths. Yes. Um, <laughs> coffee or tea? Ooh, coffee. Love coffee. Okay. Beer or whiskey? Yeah. Ooh, shit. Lately, whiskey. Uh, I mean, I like beer. I and I work at a like a craft cocktail bar, so I'm always messing around with different whiskeys and getting to try new stuff. But it always, I'm very intrigued when I walk into a bar and see a bunch of different beers on tap. And I'm always trying to. I'm lately into IPAs and stuff, but I do like. Uh, certain porters um that, that that is tough but i do enjoy trying new things but lately if i had to choose i like whiskey okay um cook at home or dine out at a restaurant dine out not a great cook okay new movie comes out see it at the cinema or wait to watch it on the couch at home and i'm uh <laughs> i'm a giant big movie dude dude i love i love going out to the theater and seeing new stuff i I, I usually can't wait. If it's something that doesn't look appealing to me, then I then I can. But I love. Plus, it's like plus you know it's a hangout idea. Like I can go with the friends or take the girlfriend to go see something cool. I I like going to the movies. I like the experience. Um, spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow. I gotta say beach. Uh, we just had plenty of snow here <laughs> this past week, which was out of nowhere. But uh, and I don't mind the snow. I actually used to go skiing when I was a kid, and I do like. I do enjoy it, but being a Texas boy, I'm used to the beach, and I, I can drink beers and or whiskey and uh, <clears throat> uh, just hang out on hang out under the sun and be on this and like cook cook food and stuff. Can't do that as easily out in the snow. Exactly. Um, like that. Sh- cat or dog? 
dog. Mm-hmm. What kind have you got? I, uh, they, so like they hang out, I'm right by some windows and they, they're always looking out the windows and seeing if like somebody walks by with another dog. And so they're very attentive to what's going on. Um, so I'm, so I'm was trying not to be destructive and like get them out of it. <laughs> uh, cause you could be getting a little, uh, excited. Um, I've got one that's, uh, her name's Hazel. Mm-hmm. She, uh, like kind of a Husky mix, like a smaller Husky mix. Not sure what the other mix is, but she has a lot, she has some Husky features and the two different color eyes. Um, and I've got a chocolate lab. His name's Hank. Oh. Uh, so I have a couple, like I, every once in a while, I post a picture of them in my story or, uh, just in a post or something. So if you, if you dig, like you dig for other stuff, you can see them pretty easily, but those are my two. I, I don't dislike cats, but I'm absolutely a dog guy. Yeah. Love that. And we've, we've got three, so we're all about it. So. Oh, really? Mm. What do you have? We've got English Staffy. We've got uh, a long-haired dachshund, which is basically a long-haired sausage dog. Um, My girlfriend has really his, yeah, his name's Scooter, and I'm really not big into small dogs. I'm more of a, like a medium big mm-hmm. dog, big dog guy. It is a pretty. I mean, he is a nice. He is a nice little wiener. Though. Yeah. So I, he gets a he gets a pass. <laughs> so. And the other one, so I, I, the other one we've got is uh, Staffy mixed with something, and she is the kind of dog that gets scared by her own farts. Like she farts and then bolts. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what have I done? Now, okay, let's get into a couple of comic books and then some movies and then some music ones. So Bat- Batman or Superman? Batman. Oh, well, that was it. That was easy. Uh, Wolverine or Deadpool? I think Wolverine. I do like I do like Deadpool, but um, I think I grew up. I even have some of the, remember the old '90s X Men TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few of those episodes on VHS, and so I would I watch that, and I'd have like an old, like old X Men video game, and Wolverine was one of my favorites. And uh, I do like Deadpool. The movies are cool. I like the idea of the character, but between the two, I like Wolverine. I like the like the gritty kind of like badass guy that doesn't give a shit about what people think. He's just gonna do it anyways, and. Yeah, Wolverine. Captain America or Iron Man? Iron Man. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I like Cap, but Civil War was one of my favorite <clears throat> favorite MCU movies. And I I vibe with the idea of the, like how he described himself, the billionaire philanthropist. Um, I think also partially because there's like this cocky but suave um, idea behind it. And that's kind of what I like about Bruce Wayne and Batman. I, I, it's just like a darker version, kind of. They're, you know, Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne are, are pretty identical guys mm-hmm. um, when you look at it. Um, but and don't get me wrong, I like Captain America, but just the the good guy attitude sometimes isn't enough. I like I like Tony Stark's like snarkiness uh, and his smart money knows a lot about science and technology. I, that's I like that world mm. better. Um, Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Bang. Two specific. Rambo or Rocky? Ooh, uh, Rambo. Freddy or Jason? Yeah. Freddy. Okay. Um, Jason's cool. I like Freddy though because I think the storylines are a little. The, the idea is a little bit more fucked up. Like a child sex predator that mm. got burned alive and now haunting people in your dreams. How are you supposed to escape that? Yeah, it's like yeah, I know. Jason doesn't die. Like he always comes back and stuff. And it's just, but the idea of not being able to fall asleep, I think is a lot more creepy. And just the, the backstory is a little bit more fucked up, which 
sounds weird to say that I like it because it's more fucked up, but I do. And whatever. Well, that's horror Freddy. movies, man. The, the more fucked <clears throat> up, the better they are usually. Um, usually, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Strange. I can't disagree with that. Uh, James Bond or Jason Bourne? I gotta say Bond. I actually never watched the Jason Bourne movies, but I do. I did watch like the uh, Daniel Craig's like Gold Goldeneye when I was a kid, and the the uh, uh, the the later ones. I've seen some of those. Um, and I mean, Jason Bourne's cool. I've seen like little bits and pieces of them, but I've never sat down and watched them like I've done some of the Bond movies. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'd go Bond <clears throat> as well. The only my thing I constantly laugh about with Jason Bourne is the dude. Because you haven't seen it, you probably won't fully get this. But dude is always paranoid. Like he's walking into rooms, going, "People are watching." Like just mm-hmm. chill a little bit, man. Like just relax. <laughs> You're like a nine. I need you to maybe like a <laughs> be, be aware of your surroundings, but be like obnoxious about it. You know. Um, Star Wars. Take you anywhere. Star Wars or Star Trek? This is why we can't have good things. Star Wars or Star Trek? <laughs> Yeah, uh, Star Wars. I I never really. I'm not like a giant Star Wars nerd, but I I've seen most of them, and I do I do like them. Uh, but I never really dove into Star Trek. Um, but it's kind of like different things. I know Star Trek kind of actually has a lot more like philosophy involved and talks about like real issues kind of in a metaphorical way sometimes. And Star Wars is more just like storytelling. Um, but like so. I would normally pick like philosophy over storytelling because I'm very into like philosophy and religion and debates and stuff like that. But just because I grew up with Star Wars, I probably have to lean that way because I've never actually watched the Star Trek stuff. What about Game of Thrones or Lord of Rings? I have to say Game of Thrones because I haven't seen Lord of the Rings. And that's one thing I always get shit about because I do like movies a lot. But when I start having that discussion, eventually Lord of the Rings comes up and it's like, what do you mean you haven't seen them? You know, and like, I just didn't. They, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I hear they're great movies. I just, I don't have a whole day to sit and watch three of them. When I've kind of been like told, and <clears throat> I think there's more to it than this, but I've also been told that like the entire idea of the three is, and I, maybe this is just me being an asshole, but the idea of the three is that they're trying to just bring this ring to one place. Yep. In one of the movies, they come across like these giant birds, I think, or dragons that could easily just take them to where they need to go, and that would be the end of the movie. But they don't do it. They just drag it out. And to me, that's like, I know eventually I'll watch them, but to me, I can't really get past this giant plot hole that's been presented to me, and where I'm like, it's just going to bug me the whole time. And I, I do want to see them, because I know they're very influential films in, uh, you know, movie movie world but i just never seemed intriguing to me even when they first came out and i didn't know about the storyline it was just like okay that kind of like looks okay but i'd rather other see other stuff and i always did so eventually i'll probably sit down and watch them but uh i gotta say game of thrones though i think yeah do you that at least watch. you answer that perfectly because i tell the story to some people who say that they love game of thrones uh not game of thrones lord of rings i i <clears> went and saw the first one at the cinema a uh, long time ago, mm-hmm. I walked out halfway through the movie. And the reason I walked out is because I started to get the idea that this whole story was just about getting from point A to point B. And it was taking him yep. forever. And it was about an hour and a half into it. And I knew there was another hour and a half, maybe two to go. I got up and said, I'm not watching three dudes just walking across a country. This is fucking boring. <laughs> I, I, I can't do this. Yeah. 
and then drag it across more films. This this is not entertainment. I'm sorry. Yes, it looks visually spectacular, yeah. but I'm out. Yeah. And, I, and, that, and that's it. Yeah. I've never watched the others. I haven't watched them. So. Oh, you didn't even go back? No. No. Okay. No. All right. So, Respect. I'm glad, glad we're eye to eye on that. <laughs> you're, not, you're not missing out on anything yet. Okay. Um, All right, good. South Park or Simpsons? Oh. Oh, Simpsons, but, but, but I think, um, like I grew up watching Simpsons and I think everybody obviously agrees that there's like the golden era of the Simpsons where I think after like season 11 or so, I think season nine or is it eight or nine, eight or nine is like usually argued as being the best season Mm. ever Mm. for the show. Um, and it's still good for a couple seasons after that, but then it starts to like really taper. And then now it's almost a totally different show. Um, like it's still the Simpsons, but it's like, there's so much that's changed behind the scenes. It's like, it doesn't have the character that it used to. And I did grow up like watching South park too, but, um, some of it, some of it gets a little old after a while. Um, but they've both been on for so long. It's hard. Like, Neither one of them are the same when they were in their prime. So if I had to, like, pick an ultimate between the two, probably Simpsons. I, I do enjoy, but, like, if a Simpsons episode is on and it's one of the later seasons that I just haven't watched, I'll watch it. I'm, I'm still making my way through it now on Disney+. Plus and But I've realized that I'm in, like, season 12 or so where I'm like, okay, I don't remember all these episodes anymore. Some of them are still familiar, but you can tell stuff starting to change. And then South Park, I kind of just grew out of, I think, mm-hmm. after a little while. Where, like, it was good, you know, when it was out and, like, it's it's a whole new animation style. It's super vulgar and, like, you're, like, not used to that kind of stuff. Simpsons a little more family-oriented. South Park was pushing all kinds of boundaries. Um, And, and, like, I watched that latest South Park special uh, that they put out, like, a couple months ago. And if an episode's on, I'll still watch it. I still like the show. But if I got to pick between the two, I think think Simpsons probably means a little bit more to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say Simpsons. Um, Slayer or Pantera? Gotta say Pantera. Um, I was never actually like a giant Slayer fan, and like I don't dislike them. And I actually saw, I actually di- went to one of their final tours uh, like a f- couple years ago that came through here. And I've never owned. Uh, this might sound like blasphemy to certain metal fans listening or whatever, but uh, <clears throat> I've never owned a Slayer record. Um, I was never actually a giant Pantera fan. I, I, I liked the band. Um, uh, but I think there was something about like the thrashiness of Slayer that was a little old school for me that I just didn't grow up with. And so I never resonated with thrashy style bands. I appreciate the hell out of them. And their live show is incredible. Um, that was a really fun night. Uh, Pantera is a little bit more palatable and like up my alley as far as like kind of just heavier, a little more angry sounding. Um but I didn't grow up with it, even though they were they were kind of like still popular around all the new metal times and everything. Um, uh, I I liked them. The first song I ever heard from them was Five Minutes Alone. It wasn't Walk. I heard Five Minutes Alone mm-hmm. first, uh, and I liked it. I actually put it on like a random mix CD I made for myself <laughs> back in the day. Uh, I liked it. Um, but between the two, definitely Pantera. Plus, again, I'm a southern. I'm a southern man. I'm gonna. <laughs> There's some roots there, you know. <laughs> um, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. 
Easy. Definitely Metallica, and that's Joe's favorite band too. So he he's playing them every once in a while too, and draws inspiration. And um, I don't know if you caught it, uh, but some people have. And there's there's all kinds of Easter eggs on the album. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that we actually thought out and like inserted really quick and like see if anybody notices. Some are more obvious. Like in '86, he's got the Pink Panther theme song, mm-hmm. kind of the theme put into it. But in the opening track, uh, Domination, uh, the solo he has in there is actually kind of a snippet of his version of the the solo from one by Metallica. Um, so if you listen to that, it's his like tip of the cap to Metallica. Mm, fuck yeah. It was a big, so I, I like them, but again, they kind of still come from that like thrashy era where like I caught on, like I randomly picked up the black album one day and I, I still like that album a lot. I like the tones on that mm. record a lot. The songs are, um, uh, I liked SNM a lot because of the orchestra, so that was very appealing to me. So I was like, "Oh wow, heavy music with like strings, uh, that's really cool." Um, Megadeth, I just never—I don't even know if I could name a single Megadeth song. I—I I, I know what the logo looks like. I've seen multiple album covers, but I really don't know if I could even name a single song. De- definitely Metallica by a long shot, though. Um, Corn or Limp Bizkit? God. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Um, man, I think if I have to, I got to say corn. I think just because they were the first. I like I like Limp Biscuit, but they have some uh, some stuff like towards the end of the catalog that's just not that great. Um, it uh, stuff like Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish and, and even Three Dollar Bill. Awesome albums. I love them. I'll jam them super hard. Uh, but corn, I think, is probably besides the handful of years where they did some more like um, experimental stuff. I'll just word it that way: experimental stuff in the middle of their that career there, like post post Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Take a look in the mirror, like past that. Mm-hmm. Um, all the other stuff previously, top notch. And then, but this this latest record they put out too, I think it's called The Nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome, like front to back like bangers it's like just it's still it's like heavy the riffs are groovy just like dude corn's like still got it you know they just circled back around to doing old school like heavy like this is just corn they've just kind of revved it up a little bit and it's badass and so i think i think objectively they've probably been the most consistent less controversial um multiple reasons why i think they're the better band, but again, I, no, I do like Limbiscuit. Yeah, look, I like Limbiscuit too. I like Corn too. But one thing I'll give Corn props is they don't take. I mean, what ten years to release a new album, something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fuck. They they don't have the like internal inconsistencies either. I mean, they've had like Head kind of he left and then came back, but like there's just that rift between West Borland and Fred Durst that's been a problem for years and. Well, I mean, you know, they kicked DJ Lethal out for a while, and then they brought him also, back. Also that. Yeah. It's just confusing. Also, yeah. Just confusing. Sort your shit out. And Fred Durst now is, like, dabbling in movies. Like, he made that movie with John Travolta, which is apparently a train wreck. Um, I heard about it. Didn't even want to touch it. Nah. I feel, bad, but I feel bad, but I don't feel like I have much to gain by, by checking it out. <laughs> So I just I just didn't. But if Limp Biscuit were to put out a new album and it it was dope, I'd be like, all right, hmm. let's go, let's go. We might it, we might get it in twenty thirty, man. The rate of they're going. So, well, all right, I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> 
bring it up. My new metal love is never going to die. So if, if it happens, it happens, and I'll hopefully be able to welcome it with open arms, but we'll see. Okay, we've got a couple left. We've got Suicide Silence or Whitechapel. I got to say Chapel, um, uh, but and no disrespect to Suicide at all. I think Eddie's doing a great job filling in for Mitch, and I actually got to meet Mitch one time. Uh, one of the very first STM tours we ever did, we had a California show, and Mitch actually came out to it because he knew a couple of guys in, in a band called The Devastated that was from California. Uh, he came out to the show, and he bought he bought a round of shots for us, and it was our drummer Fernando was underage at the time, but it was his first shot ever. He'd never had a shot before. And Mitch actually taught him how to do it. Like it was tequila and it came with a lime. He's like, so you just, you have salt in the room. You can lick that if you want. Um, but you take this lime and you throw it the fuck away and you take a shot like a man. (laughs) (laughs) Did it. And, uh, so we had like a cool small little, um, interaction with Mitch back in the day. It was the only time I ever met him. Uh, but I, uh, during those days when those bands were like just starting out, I hopped on the Whitechapel train like right away. Mm. Um, and I like Suicide Silence. I like old. I like new. Um, the new rec- new record's really cool. But I think overall, I, uh, I've kind of been like a Whitechapel fan since Somatic Defilement came out. Mm. So Banging album too. Um, Still, yes. Okay, last few. Uh, you're playing a show. Do you want stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? Ooh, uh, I think I'm more of a fan of mic grabs because to me, that's that connection of you like what I'm saying and you took the time to memorize it and you want to be a part of it. Cause I was always stoked when I went to a show and like, I would get a mic every once in a while. I was like, yeah, I got, you see that? I got the mic, you know, uh, stage dives are dope. Do them all day. As long as the venue allows it and you can, you can be safe, do it all day. Don't care. It's fun. But I think mic grabs because of the lyrics. Fuck yeah. Um, you're going to go to a show. Are you going to watch it from the pit or by the sound desk? Oh, sound desk. Yeah. <laughs> sound desk, man. I'm I'm retired. No no moshing for me. Uh, I mean, I did kind of like move around a lot at that Slayer show, but you have enough beers and you're like, it's fucking Slayer. You know, the typical <laughs> like, like they're about to break up and the band's legendary. Like, who cares? Just let it go. But otherwise, or like if it's, if it's like homies or something, like I'll watch from the side of the stage or, or whatever, but I'm much more like I'm going to grab a beer and hang out by the sound booth mm-hmm. and just, you know, I'm not, I'm not the upfront guy anymore. Mm. I don't have the energy for it. I need, I need my beer and I'm there to enjoy the atmosphere and listen, not get sweaty and pushed around <laughs> I don't that in my life. <laughs> now, second, last one, you need one to go with the other, but let's imagine that they exist in their own right and you don't need the other to help it out. It sounds a okay. bit confusing, but this will make sense. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Okay, I see what you mean. And ooh, that's tough. I got to say I got to say traveling. Cuz if you have enough I I they obviously need each other. But I think if you have enough music, you can just keep traveling and playing some of that music. Um and you still get the some of the like experiences that you wouldn't get just being in a studio. And I'm very much about um, I like traveling, <clears throat> touring. Touring, you know, wears wears you down, but um, it's still always fun. Um, I'm I'm a big I'm big on like experiences and getting getting as much as you can out of life. And I think ultimately, as much fun. I actually enjoy the recording process a lot. I like being in the studio. I'm not that guy that's like 
uh, when somebody's recording, I'm going to go fuck off and do whatever. I like being in the room. I like watching and learning and just watching other my guys do their process. I love that. And it's always fun for me. But I think between the two, I think I would get more fun stories and life experience from touring. Yeah. So I think I'd have to, it, it's, that's a tough one. Um, but I think I'd have to choose touring. Now the last, sure. last one is I'm going to give you your all time favorite album. Do you want it on CD vinyl or on your phone? I think because of how things are these days, I think I have to say my phone because that's always on me. And I can literally listen to it whenever I want at that point. If I do have it on a CD, which I do, <clears throat> um, that's great. And I like, I still like having physical copies of stuff. Like I even pre-ordered the album. I pre-ordered Black Art and I got that like mega bundle with it because I wanted a physical copy of stuff. I mean, for sentimental value also, but I like seeing it, you know, exist in real life. Um but I, I, you know, there's CD players aren't everywhere. And if I want to listen to that album, I have to find a CD player. I got to hunt one down if it's not in my car. And vinyl, I love like the aesthetic appeal. Uh, but I don't even own a record player, at least not right now. I mean, I plan, I plan to, but uh, that would just be a visual experience for me. And if it's my favorite album, I'm going to want more than that. So mm. by process of elimination, if I'm going to want to hear my favorite album, I think it's got to be on my phone. Fuck yeah. Um, Dude, we smashed it. Like we've, we've. I'm. Um, thank you for going excessively overtime. We're just short. Yeah, of... I noticed the time a few minutes ago. I was like, damn, we're almost. We're kind of. We're slowly coming up on almost two hours. I love it. But, uh, hey, yeah, all good, man. I, I like doing these things, especially when like you're doing it with somebody that cares about the conversation. You did a, a ton of research into like stuff that I have not been asked about yet. Um. Uh. And it's like just the vibe was cool. So it's it's like, you know, sometimes you get scheduled to do um, interviews, but like you kind of just put up with it for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And some of the answers are going to be the same for stuff that you've heard before. But uh, I enjoy doing them, though. And so if it rolls up on two hours and like we're just vibing and talking, doesn't bother me, man. I'm here. Oh, you know, dude, I it was prom uh, I invaluable. You my time like and, um, dude, uh, it's a compliment to yourself and um, how easy you are to chat to and get along with, man. And look. Um, as a fan of what you've done and are doing, uh, just keep doing it, man. I'm excited for whatever's next. Um, hopefully you get to Australia eventually. I mean, let's be honest. We don't know when. We don't know either, but that is actually, that's part of the content that we're releasing is what me and Joe have done some interview stuff. And one of the, one of the little segments is like a bucket list tour and both of us said Australia. So we're, it's <clears throat> a plan. Well, it's, I'll take you out for some, uh, smooth peanut butter. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'll stay in touch. Really appreciate this, man. Like, really invaluable. A lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation for you. Um, stay, Thanks. stay Thank strong. You. Um, I'll be in touch. Um, and you're a legend. <laughs> you too, brother. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, later, brother. Cheers, bud.
So that was my chat with Steve of Within the Ruins. And at the end there, the first two tracks you heard were from Within the Ruins. First one's titled Deliverance. Second one was titled Devil in Me. Both of those are from the most recent album, Black Heart. The third and final track you heard was from Silence the Messenger. That one's titled Hunters and is from their album, The Proclamation. Now's the moment. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you have a moment this week and you enjoyed that conversation or you enjoyed the music, get online, stream the music, download the music, consume the fucking music. If you're into physicals, get yourself a CD, get yourself a vinyl. And lastly, if you like yourself some merch, make sure you grab yourself a hoodie, a shirt or some shorts. I have to take this moment to thank Steve again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to you guys, hopefully, in the near distance future, getting down to Australia. Let's hang out, dude. Let's have a fucking pizza. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 154, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.